Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Tonight on The Readout. Why should I be limited? Why should anybody be limited just because someone has made an accusation? Everybody in America is innocent until proven otherwise. I get accused of all kinds of things every single day, as does every member uh, that serves in the public eye. But that doesn't stop you from doing your job. It is our duty, and it is my duty. I mean, the FBI just seized my phone. Ah, yes! Congressman Scott Perry under investigation by the DOJ for his role in the plot to overturn the 2020 election will now be part of the investigation into his own investigation. Just the latest in a long history of Republican oversight madness. Also tonight, two big depositions. Fox's main man, Rupert Murdoch, under oath today about his network's role in pushing false election rigging theories. As Donald Trump makes a very telling mistake in the E. Jean Carroll rape allegation lawsuit. Plus, Florida students can take AP courses in Italian culture, German culture, and Japanese culture. But Ron DeSantis has decided that learning about African Americans, quote, lacks educational value. But we begin the readout tonight with the Republican circus that's officially come to town. The party has filled out their roster for the House Oversight Committee, whose official mission is to ensure the efficiency and effectiveness of the federal government. With the lineup of insurrectionists and trolls, they've ensured that it will be all Biden investigations all the time, no matter how frivolous. And who knows, maybe they'll also investigate whether the moon landing really happened or tell us who Q is at long last. Now, to understand how we got here to this particular corner of hell, look no further than this guy. We, at my house, with a homicide detective, tried to recreate a head and fired a 38 4-inch barrel into that to see if the sound could be heard from 100 yards away, even, when there was a, even though there was an earth mover moving around in the background making all kinds of racket, and you could hear the bullet clearly. That was then-Indiana Republican Congressman Dan Burton in 1994, describing how he shot a watermelon in his backyard. According to Burton, it, it proved that former Clinton Deputy White House Counsel Vince Foster, whose 1993 death was ruled a suicide, was actually murdered by or at the behest of the Clintons. I mean, after all, who could refute his backyard forensic experiment? So why does that matter? Well, two years later, Dan Burton became chairman of the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee and took his Clinton obsession there. He went after the Clinton's cat, Socks, demanding answers about why taxpayers were fronting the bill for White House staff to answer letters addressed to the feline. And in 1998, he told the Indianapolis Star, quote, if I could prove 10% of what I believe happened, Bill Clinton would be gone. This guy's a scumbag. That's why I'm after him. Over the course of his chairmanship, Dan Burton issued more than 1,000 subpoenas targeting the Clinton administration and Democrats at a cost of 35 million taxpayer dollars. Burton's commitment to being a massive headache for President Clinton set a tone for the unserious way Republicans have treated the otherwise serious oversight committee ever since. 
Fast forward to 2010, days after the Tea Party swept Republicans into power. The incoming oversight chair, California caught Republican Daryl Issa, promised hundreds of investigations, telling Politico he wanted seven hearings a week times 40 weeks. He investigated the full complement of Fox News fever dream conspiracies, Fast and Furious, or Solyndra ring a bell. ICE's oversight committee hearings were full of the usual Fox News catnip theatrics, especially when it came to their favorite cat toy, Benghazi. Our goal in this investigation is to get answers because their families deserve answers. There are four people that were not safely evacuated. We're going to find out what happened in Benghazi, and I don't give a damn whose career is impacted. We're going to find out what happened. Ah, the circus has continued ever since. The panel is where screamy Jim Jordan made his reputation. And in a 2019 hearing, then-ranking member Mark Meadows gave us this moment of prop with Trump housing official Lynn Patton during questioning of Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen. You made some very um, demeaning comments about the the president that Ms. Patton doesn't agree with. In fact, it has to do with your claim of racism. She says that as a daughter of a man born in Birmingham, Alabama, that there is no way that she would work for, a, uh, for a, an individual who was racist. She's not going to say that herself. Look at her standing there. She's black. Is she not? Is she not black? With Kevin McCarthy handing out seats on oversight to a veritable Joker's gallery, Republicans are poised to send the cuckoo committee into overdrive. With members like Freedom Caucus Chair Scott Perry, who led the effort to try to install Jeffrey Clark as attorney general as part of the scheme to use the Justice Department to overthrow the 2020 election. Last year, Perry had his phone seized by the FBI in the DOJ investigation of the fake elector plot prior to the attack on the Capitol. Perry also sought a pardon in the weeks after January 6th, according to the House January 6th committee. In fact, his name is all over the committee report. Perry was referred to the House Ethics Committee for refusing to comply with a subpoena. He was also a conduit for the conspiracy theories directly to Donald Trump, namely Italygate, an absurd claim that an Italian defense contractor had conspired with CIA officials to use military satellites to flip votes from Trump to Joe Biden. But despite all of that, Kevin McCarthy and Republicans saw fit to place Perry on a committee with oversight of agencies that have investigated the scheme to overthrow the election, like the Justice Department, for example, which has investigated Scott Perry. What could go wrong? Joining me now is Kurt Bardella, who's a former spokesman for the House Oversight Committee, and Stuart Stevens, senior advisor to the Lincoln Project. You're in the hot seat first because you, you, you were saying uh, quietly that you were having post-traumatic stress disorder. You worked for Daryl Issa. Yeah. And, and so you saw the unseriousness which with the committee could descend, to which it could descend. So what are your expectations now uh, given the fact that Scott Perry is... Well, tell us about working there. What was it like? You know, it's interesting because... In the beginning, the very beginning, the Oversight Committee was not supposed to be this partisan stomping ground. There was a moment in time where they did very serious and legitimate oversight, things like looking at the BP oil spill, things like what happened with the financial crisis and investigating the financial institutions that paved the way for that. Totally perfect use of oversight authority. 
And then it got hyper-partisan. Remember, at the same time that this was going on, this is also when we were hearing all the noise about Barack Obama's birth certificate. That's right. That's when the crazy started happening. It's when the Tea Party Revolution that paved the way for the MAGA Revolution came to Congress. And as those members infiltrated the ranks of the Oversight Committee, that's when you started seeing the crazy. And it's really something now, Joy, to watch those very members, those who were freshmen at the time, Mm -hmm. now become serious players within the Oversight Committee, within the Republican Conference, where they can literally hold the Speaker of the House hostage so they can advance their radical agenda of conspiracy theories and lies. And and I'm going to bring you in, Stuart, because Scott Perry is not as well known as some of the other um, members of the the Republican House, but he's the head of the Freedom Caucus, which makes him the head of probably the most powerful caucus in the House. And just an element from his long history of conspiracy theories. In January 2018, Perry speculated about an Islamic State connection to the mass shooting in Las Vegas the previous year, contradicting law enforcement's assertion that the accused gunman was working alone. I smell a rat like a lot of Americans. He sounds like Dan Burton. This guy doesn't seem all the way, I don't know, the the, the plug isn't plugged all the way into the wall. And yet, here he is on this committee alongside, what, 16 out of 26 members of the committee are election deniers. How's that going to work out? Well, Joy, you know, there's a long, um, and I, I don't think you'd call it honorable tradition of that Perry is, is falling into. Uh, Dan Burton, who was investigating the Clintons for a sex scandal, had a child, uh, to a woman he wasn't married to, he had to admit. Um, Daryl Issa was arrested as a car thief. So now, uh, you know, charged with a felony. So uh, now you have Perry, whose phone was seized by the FBI, who you know, still will not admit that Joe Biden is a legally elected president. He endorsed Mastriano, who was one of the a guy that hired people and paid them to come uh, be part of this insurrection, paid for their transportation. Look, this is very bad for the country. But I, I have to say, just in a political sense, it's going to be good for Democrats because nobody yeah. cares about this stuff. And these are just nutty, unserious people. I mean, the more you could, Democrats can put Marjorie Taylor Greene on the ballot, the better off they're going to be. I mean, this is a, this is somebody that doesn't think that uh, that we should be sending arms to Ukraine. Right. You know, she's, well, spe- she's, a, she's a Putin. She's, she's a Putin Republican. Um, so this is this is going to be good for Democrats. No, I think that and I think they agree with that. And by the way, you did notice that uh, that Speaker Byron Donalds is also on that committee. He didn't get a gavel, but he got to be on this, which should be great. Uh, let me speaking of of, uh, of Marjorie Taylor Greene, just because I think, you know, I, I'm telling you, all I really would love to ignore her. But because she is the boss of the Speaker of the House, we can't ignore her. She has actual real power. Let me play what she said about Hillary Clinton and an allegation she made in 2018. This is a person who is going to be conducting oversight over the White House and over the government. Marjorie Taylor Greene, everybody. Yes, I could dive into uh, Kennedy getting killed in the plane crash because isn't it interesting that he had announced he was going to run for Senate just before he died in a mysterious plane crash. But anyway, so that's another one of those... um, Clinton murders. Uh, <laughs> Kurt, what is that? She thinks that Hillary Clinton killed JFK Jr. and she's a QAnoner, so she thinks he's also still alive and a Trump supporter at the same time. That person is a extremely powerful now member of the Congress and arguably the boss. 
of the so-called speaker. Oh, my God. I mean, again, this is what happens when you have this this ultra MAGA wing now hijack the entire oversight agenda, be in a position to issue subpoenas, have depositions, target people to bring these conspiracy theories to life. And it just shows you the level of how unserious this entire thing is. I mean, for all of their talk about wanting to conduct serious and legitimate oversight, when you put these people on there, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Bobart, Scott Perry, you know, 14 people that are just appointed Andy committee Biggs. who are election deniers. That tells you everything you need to know. I mean, we might as well call this thing. It was Eric Swell who called it yesterday. Insurrectionist LLC. <laughs> That's what this is. I mean, would you really ask? It's like, hey, let's have Al Capone investigate Elliot Ness. Right. It's all backwards. Like when Pablo Escobar went to jail in a prison he built guarded by his own people. <laughs> That's what this is becoming right now. Yeah, it, it pretty much is. And I would say, Stuart, the other thing is it's going to give lie to the idea that anyone should take their subpoena seriously. Let's just be honest. Some of these people were referred to the Ethics Committee, including Scott Perry, for refusing the January 6th Committee subpoenas. What, Jim Jordan he looks at subpoenas and laughs at them when they're for him. So why should any Democrat or anyone do anything but laugh at these this committee's subpoenas? Well, you know, I think that this whole uh, attack is part of a, a Republican attack, basically, on these foundations of our civil society. They won't admit that the president is legally elected. They don't really want to, you know, subpoenas, what are they? I think, look, I spent 30 years pointing out flaws in the Democratic Party, but I think the Democratic Party has much more respect for the rule of law now. You can disagree on this policy or that policy, but this is really uh, how you destroy a democracy. A democracy is based on goodwill and some sort of civil contract between those you elect and those uh, who elect them. And they're just tearing that apart. They don't care about this. Um, and it's, it's incredibly dangerous for the country. It is. It is. I mean, you can laugh about it, but it is. It, you never forget that it's incredibly dangerous. As goofy as these people are, they're also incredibly dangerous. Kurt Bardella, Stuart Stevens, thank you both very much. Up next on The Readout, Fox News chief and Trump buddy Rupert Murdoch is deposed in the $1.6 billion defamation suit brought by Dominion Voting Systems. The Readout continues after this. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future.
That's PlannedParenthood.org slash future. The Fox News decision desk can now project that former Vice President Joe Biden will win Pennsylvania and Nevada, putting him over the 270 electoral votes he needs to become the 46th president of the United States. That was Fox News on Saturday, November 7th, 2020, joining the Associated Press, CNN and our network in declaring Joseph Biden the winner of the presidential election. This came just days after Fox was the first to put Arizona in Biden's win column, news that sent Trump into a fit of blinding rage and led to his son-in-law calling the company's CEO, Rupert Murdoch, demanding that he make his network retract the call. When that failed, Trump went all in on the big lie. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. While Fox News would not retract its call, it did find a different way to help Trump and its own ratings by perpetrating lies that the election was stolen from Trump. One of their top targets was Dominion Voting Systems, a company that supplies voting machines to roughly two dozen states. And in that capacity, they were accused by Trump and his lackeys of stealing votes from Trump and giving them to Biden. While most of us called BS on that, Fox became a warm Petri dish for those lies. The Dominion software system has been tagged as one allegedly capable of flipping votes. Don't forget, still serious questions about the integrity of Dominion. All I know is Democrats, the media and Republicans prior to this election agreed. Dominion is calling all of the allegations that you and Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis have made uh, absurd. Your response? Well, it's almost laughable. They've closed up their offices and moved elsewhere. Those false claims led to a $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit by Dominion that accuses Fox News of knowingly encouraging on-air personalities to perpetrate these baseless claims for ratings. According to Media Matters, in a two-week period after the election, Fox questioned the results or pushed conspiracy theories nearly 800 times. Now, some will say that these were just the opinion folks. Well, that is not actually true either. Again, according to Media Matters, more than a quarter of their news stories also cast out or pushed conspiracy theories. At the heart of Dominion's lawsuit is that Fox anchors and hosts knew that these were lies, but kept pushing them anyway. All the folks I just showed play a starring role in Dominion's lawsuit. Last month, according to The New York Times, Sean Hannity, who was deposed in the trial, seemed to buttress Dominion's claim by telling lawyers that he did not believe for one second any of the stuff he spent hours talking about on his show. In September, Dominion lawyers also uncovered an email from a Fox producer pleading to keep Janine Pirro off the air because she was pushing conspiracy theories from the dark web. Today, the guy who signs their checks, 91-year-old Rupert Murdoch, was deposed in the same lawsuit. His son, Lachlan, who runs Fox Corp for his dad, was deposed in December. Dominion is trying to prove that they both knew the election claims were false, even that they both knew the election claims were false, even as they continued to encourage them on the air. Joining me now is Jeremy Peters, New York Times correspondent and MSNBC contributor. Jeremy, thank you for being here. I just want to start with the, the kind of atmosphere in which this was taking place. 
because Fox News Election Center actually does a good job, you know, and they called accurately the election. But the re- the reaction to that from their viewers was to threaten boycotts, to say they were never going to watch again. And there was a ratings potential impact there. And it seems that what they did after that, by jumping on the bandwagon of the big lie, was to keep their viewers from fleeing to OANN and Newsmax. Is that the way that the, it looks to your reporting? So, Joy, that's at the heart of Dominion's case, that Fox News needed to keep its viewers, needed to like rebuttress its viewership and, in essence, told their audience lies to make that happen. Because Fox News initially, and we can't overlook this, uh, because as you say, the decision desk was a really important part of what happened in 2020 in, in declaring Trump's defeat, told the truth. They said that Trump lost. And that was unpalatable to the Fox audience. And once the Fox audience started to flee, Dominion's case is effectively that Fox hosts, Maria Bartiromo, Janine Pirro, Lou Dobbs, lied to their audience and did so by saying that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. And the case that Dominion is presenting to a judge right now, uh, which is one of the most extraordinary cases that we've seen of defamation law in a really long time. I mean, think about this. The CEO, the chairman of the board, Rupert Murdoch, his son, the CEO, Lachlan, all these hosts, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Janine Pirro, they have all been deposed in this lawsuit. That doesn't happen in an ordinary lawsuit. So to it, so for it to get this far really shows how serious this is and how big and persuasive of a case that Dominion has against Fox. And what they have to prove, to your point earlier, is that Fox lied, that the people inside Fox News knew that what they were putting on the air was wrong or they knew that it at least was probably false. And that's all they need to convince a jury. And this is barreling toward trial. And we have not seen that kind of defamation trial against a major media company in a long, long time. Right. And I mean, and they have to know know it was false. This isn't a matter of being wrong. You have to actually, for the defamation case to go forward, you have to know that it was false. So I I want to talk about Rupert Murdoch and Lachlan Murdoch for a second. But Rupert, principally, because Prince Harry has described him as probably the most dangerous human being, I think, in the last century um, because of the misinformation he pushes through all of his outlets. Um, He said he can't think of a single human being who in the 300,000 year history of the species has done more collective damage to our sense of reality. Um, and he also is, was disgusted by the frightened minions who do his bidding for him, his code of flunkies, young, broken, desperate men willing to do whatever was necessary to get one of his grinchy smiles. How much control does Rupert Murdoch himself have over Fox News versus Lachlan? Because I think people were accustomed to seeing Roger Ailes as sort of the king of Fox News. But once he was you know, exactly. gone in a sex scandal, how much control does Rupert Murdoch have over the editorial, over the things they're saying? That is the question that's at the heart of the case, because if Dominion can prove that Rupert Murdoch knew that the allegations were in some kind of text message or email, which Dominion has access to, like, let's not forget, like one of the things that we should not gloss over is that 
Dominion has been granted extraordinary access to the text messages of Sean Hannity, Lachlan Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch, all of these people. If they can prove through those text messages that Rupert Murdoch knew that this was BS, then that's the case, right? I mean, and, and it's very rare that you see a clear cut defamation case like this. And what we know through my reporting and through the reporting of others who who have been following this case is that a lot of people like Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, even Suzanne Scott, the CEO of Fox News Media herself, have expressed serious doubts and outright like incredulity about what these claims against Dominion were. So it's a very strong case. Libel experts tell me, First Amendment experts tell me they have not seen a case like this that is this strong. And when it goes to trial, then, it, you know, we'll see. And uh, we should note that they didn't take it back. I mean, they did air these little right. sort of a short sort of interview or, or where they kind of tried to make it look like they were at least challenging the claims. But just be, to be clear, they never took it back, right? They didn't. And Joy, that's a very good point, because in not taking it back, they opened themselves up to further legal liability. One of Dominion's yeah. biggest claims is that Fox never retracted the Dominion falsehoods. They retracted yeah. some of the Smartmatic, the other company, which your viewers may or may not know about, like Smartmatic was this other voting company that was all the subject of all these conspiracy theories. Fox retracted that. They didn't retract the Smartmatic, or I'm sorry, the, the, Dominion, the Dominion ones. And that's a big, big legal distinction. Very interesting. It's going to be a fascinating case. We will definitely be keeping an eye on it. Jeremy Peters, thank you very much. Uh, great reporting and still ahead. Guess which Republican governor has blocked teaching advanced placement courses on African-American studies in his state? I'm not going to tell you his name, but his initials are Ron DeSantis. Back in a second. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and I'm excited to share some great news. Both The Saturday Show and The Sunday Show are available as a podcast. Every weekend, I look forward to bringing you the most important political news and the newsmakers who are creating policies that affect your life. For me, it's all about the conversation. That's when news is revealed and understanding begins. Search for Saturdays and Sundays with Jonathan Capehart and follow. Two days ago, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis wished America a happy MLK Day while misquoting the civil rights leader, all the while blocking an advanced placement course on African-American studies. In a letter last week, the Florida Department of Education informed the College Board, which oversees AP coursework, that it would not include the class, saying the course is contrary to Florida law and, now hear this, significantly lacks educational value. 
significantly lacks educational value. What was that part again about the Reverend Mark, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? The letter didn't cite which law the course violated, but they clearly meant the subtly titled Stop Woke Act. The law is aimed at eradicating the teaching of history, gender identity, and sexual orientation in favor of curriculum that centers and lionizes people who look like Ron DeSantis. Just take a look at what AP courses are deemed educationally valuable in the state of Florida, per the book banning wannabe president. European history, of course, along with courses on the history and language of Italy, where DeSantis's family hails from, Germany, and Japan, which happen to be the Axis countries the U.S. fought during World War II. Now, whether Ron would consider fascist Italy to have been a bad guy in that war, well, that's up for debate. Joining me now is Jelani Cobb, Dean of Columbia Journalism School and staff writer for The New Yorker, and Steve Gallen, Dr. Steve Gallen, District 1 school board member for Miami-Dade County Schools. Dr. Gallen, I do want to start with you first, because this, the, 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 the sort of context in which Ron DeSantis is deeming African-American studies to be without educational value is taking place in a state where the white population of the students in public school is 36 percent. The non-white population, including 21 percent who are African-American, is 59 percent. So it seems to me that if Ron DeSantis is saying that the history of 21 percent of his state— has no educational value, it's harming them and it's harming all of the students. So I'm wondering how this is going to play out in a place like Miami-Dade County. Oh, it's uh, thank you for having me, Joy. It's going to play out significantly. Number one, it, it, despite the fact that it's going to have a significant impact relative to uh, educational access and equity, uh, it runs counter to current Florida law. Current Florida law stipulates that black history shall be taught in all schools throughout the state. The history of slavery, history of the Middle Passage, the history of the civilization of Africa from Egypt, the abolitionist movement, the civil rights movement, and the contributions that African-Americans have made to this country. That is stipulated in Florida law. So to the extent that you have a segment of students that are going to be denied access through the advanced placement course, which has a significant economic impact because students who take that course earn that credit, that credit counts toward college credit. So that's a significant economic impact that it would have on the students. So yes, it's going to be pervasive, but more importantly, I think it really speaks to this issue of the level of ambiguity as to why, as to why. Well, I mean, the thing, I took AP classes, um, in high school, Jelani, and you choose the classes. Not everyone is forced to take AP classes. You choose to take them because you want the college credit and you want to help get into a better school. And so what, what DeSantis is essentially saying is that the only valuable uh, advanced placement class for a Florida student are classes that are about Europe or the other Axis countries. That's it. The African-American studies is not deemed valuable. And it's not that he's saying you can't teach black history, but here's the evidence that it's it's how you teach black history that he's got a problem. DeSantis, when he was a high school history teacher, this is the quote from one of his former students. He was a high school history teacher at a private school in Georgia. Mr. DeSantis was mean to me and hostile toward me, said Ms. Pompey, who graduated in 2003, not aggressively, but passively because I was black. She recalled DeSantis teaching, this is the important part, civil war history in a way that sounded to her like an attempt to justify slavery. So when I add that, 
to the fact that he's going after the, the National Hockey League because they dare to recruit non-black people, essentially saying you may recruit white people and continue to keep a very white league white, but you may not try to recruit minorities. You know, I'm not saying Ron DeSantis is racist, but to quote Andrew Gillum, I think the racists might think he's racist. Sure. Uh, and so here's here's the the bizarre contradiction here. When you know, I want to I want to mention the names of Harry T. and Harriet Moore, the civil rights workers in Florida who were killed by a bomb that ripped through their home in 1951. They had been teachers. They'd been members of the NAACP organizing voters in Brevard County, Florida. They'd been fired by the state for their activities in the 1940s for daring to organize black voters, and then they were assassinated. Decades later, the state of Florida placed their home on the historic register as penance for having taken part in alienating these people before they died. So we can have their home on the historic register, but in Florida, you can't tell why that home <laughs> is on the historic register. And so it, what they're attempting to do is amputate the present from the past so we will have no rational understanding of how we got to the, the situation that we have at the present moment. Uh, it's I'd like to say that this is a, a shocking development. Hmm. But if you go back and read W.E.B. Du Bois's 1935 treatise, uh, Black Reconstruction, this is exactly mm -hmm. what he said people did in the immediate aftermath of the Civil War. We shouldn't be shocked to see this happening again. Yeah, it's, it's the daughters of the American Revolution, the Confederate, the pro-Confederate groups who insisted that we can only teach the history of slavery as happy slaves, good slave masters. If you're That's doing right. that, I promise That's you right. an AP store, an AP class that taught that, that slavery was good, because it seemed, at least per his former students, Dr. Gallen, that he wanted to teach history of slavery as sort of gallant slave owners who were kind to their happy slaves. He's cool with that. And if the AP course said that, he'd be fine with it. I also think that you've seen um, the revelation of what this is really about. A guy named Stanley Kurtz claims he read the story, he, that he read the curriculum. And he said the larger danger here is that these courses, if they're approved, will see the college board devise AP courses in women's studies, gender studies, transgender studies, Latino studies, environmental studies, a full panoply of polarized studies that have balkanized and politicized higher education. Dr. Gallen, is, in your view, is this an attempt to shut down the teaching of not just black history, but any history but the hallmark card of white and European history? Um, I wouldn't want to speculate on what the intent is, but I would say that although we want to focus on uh, black history and we often think that black history is something that's relevant to black students, black history should be relevant to all students. Knowledge is the bridge to understanding. So although I appreciate the data that you cited around 21% of the students in the state of Florida are black, there should be access to this information, to these factual history accounts relative to the contributions, relative to the struggles, relative to the achievements of blacks. That should be accessible to 100 percent of the students right. in the state of Florida. That is what access and equity is about. And that is what education should be trying to espouse. Amen. Uh, you, we are not Europe. OK, we should be able to learn about our own people, about African-Americans and not say we could only learn about Europe. It is absurd. Uh, Jelani Cobb and Dr. Steve Gallen. Thank you both. We'll be right back. Sheila Jackson Lee has devoted her entire political career, indeed her entire life, to a single cause. 
shrinking about white racism. That's what Sheila Jackson Lee does for a living. What she's doing here every day is leveling a racial attack, a blood libel against an entire group of Americans while simultaneously pretending to be the victim of attacks from that same group. So it should come as no surprise to you that great replacement pusher Tucker Carlson was on the attack, caterwauling about a publicly prominent black woman. I mean, it's kind of what he does for a living. But this specific rant focused not just on attacking Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas, but also a bill that she's proposing, H.R. 61, the Leading Against White Supremacy Act. The bill would expand the federal scope of hate crimes to include acts inspired by white supremacy. The intent is to strengthen what are presently weak federal hate crime laws and to allow for the federal prosecution of people who commit or provoke deadly and race-based attacks like the ones we've seen in places like Charlottesville and Buffalo. Tucker and others on the right, including Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, are claiming that this bill would make, quote, a mockery of the First Amendment and criminalize free speech because it includes the potential to prosecute people who publish white supremacist conspiracy theories like Tucker's favorite, the aforementioned white replacement theory or Boebert's jam. QAnon that potentially inspire those who might be vulnerable to suggestion to commit these crimes. And joining me now is Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas. And Congresswoman, I want to zero in on exactly that point, because people let me read from the from the, the law a little bit. It talks about being able to prosecute a person who engages in a conspiracy to engage in white supremacy inspired hate crimes. They shall be this conspiracy shall be determined to exist between two or more persons, at least one of whom published material advancing white supremacy, white supremacist ideology, antagonism based on replacement theory or hate speech that vilifies or otherwise directed against a non-white person or group. And they're saying that a reasonable person would be able to determine whether that speech motivated actions by a person who commits a violent crime. I think that is why Tucker Carlson is upset about the law, because he is one of the people who promotes white supremacist ideology. Does this bill allow potential prosecution of people like Tucker Carlson? First of all, thank you so very much for having me. The bill has nothing to do with speech. You know, I was thinking about the Pledge of Allegiance and it said justice and equality for all. And I would offer to say that everyone deserves justice and equality. It seems that uh, the right-wing extremists, the violent extremists, don't want that to happen. This does not criminalize speech. It is a crime bill. It is a criminal law bill, which means that intent would have to be proved that what generated out of that speech or your intent was to provoke someone to violence and that a violent act did occur. Uh, Mr. Um, Carlson or anyone else chooses to speak in ugly terms, his speech is protected. It also is not a guarantee that white supremacy is promoted only by people who happen to be Caucasian. It is a philosophy. It is a philosophy and the point of view uh, that Director Ray has spoken about now for almost three years, that white supremacy is the largest part of domestic terrorism. And domestic terrorism is larger than our fears of years back of Al-Qaeda. So I only wanted to make sure that we had a bill that addressed that. 
So, I, you know, and I ask that question because you think about Tucker Carlson or somebody who might say is sort of Tucker in trading a Nick Fuentes who, you know, pushes these ideas that white Americans are being attacked. I mean, he literally came out and accused you of a blood libel against white Americans, implying that, you know, there's going to be some genocidal result of, of non-white people speaking about racism. That is a prominent feature on the right. And what they're uh, fearful of or angry about is that the speech that Christopher Ray the FBI director says is the most toxic and is the most dangerous to our national security is right wing white supremacist speech. So that's the reason it shouldn't be shocking, I guess, that somebody like a Lauren Boebert or a Tucker Carlson would be upset about it. How do you address those fears that these kind of laws would specifically target right wingers? I think that's a very important point. First of all, I hope that we can. I know it's difficult to read a bill. You've just read it. Um, first of all, it amends a certain section and adds to race, ethnicity, and religion, and just simply adds white supremacy motivated. So, and it is the context of a hate crime legislation. It's not a freestanding bill that says, I'm just going to go after these individuals. And then it does put the conspiratorial point in it because it was evident uh, that the manifest that drove uh, the perpetrator in the Buffalo killings, there was a replacement theory there. Uh, in Mother Emanuel, that person came to start a race war. Uh, and in uh, Walmart uh, in Texas, where Mexican-Americans were killed, this individual drove 400 miles in order to specifically kill Mexican-Americans. And you've noted individuals who are not, uh, may not be white, who are pushing white supremacy views. So this is not about occasions. It's not about the First Amendment. It is an anti-hate crime bill. If you're engaged in a hate crime, you need to be punished because you have harmed someone ultimately if someone uh, is injured because of it. A young lady was killed in Charlottesville as they were marching and saying, Jews shall not replace me. And Joy, I just want to say about the terminology that was used. Uh, by the way, I don't know if uh, the gentleman on Fox News has ever been to my district and seeing the wide range of services I give in hurricanes, uh, pandemic, uh, individual services. But, but that putting that aside, um, I am shocked at the term that he used was an anti-Semitic term, blood libel. Uh, you can research it and find out that he's using an anti-Semitic term. Uh, who does he think is going to welcome that kind of interpretation? But again, he has a free speech right to say it, and he cannot be criminalized for saying that. And so he said the very words that someone can be offended by, but it does, right. it is not under this particular bill. It's about speech that jeopardizes individuals' life and liberty. Well, I, for one, am not surprised because white, uh, white replacement theory is itself uh, an anti-Semitic trope because it involves uh, allegations against Jewish people and saying that they are perpetrating this so-called replacement. So I'm not surprised, but uh, you're a decent uh, and wonderful person to be surprised by him in any way. Uh, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee of the great state of Texas, thank you so much for being here and explaining your bill. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Donald Trump has a storied history of saying his many sexual misconduct accusers must be lying because they're not his type. Most recently, he's applied this to E. Jean Carroll, who has alleged that Trump raped her in the dressing room of Bergdorf Goodman in the 1990s. Here's how she described the alleged assault to me in 2019. 
I walked in right in front of it, and he shut the door and banged right against the wall. So immediately upon walking into that dressing right room, he attacked you? against the wall. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to love kissing this guy. I, it was... I was so surprised. Did he say anything or, or no. indicate trying to get consent from you? No. Thing? Do you want he him was, to kiss you? He was, I guess this is what he thought was. That he could do. You mean that he thinks he's a celebrity, he can just kiss you, which is something he, he can said. take what he wants. Yeah. Carol is currently suing Trump for defamation. And thanks to a deposition taped in October that's just that was just released yesterday, we now know that he's made what could be a major misstep in the case. Despite repeating his claim multiple times that Carol wasn't his type during the deposition, when shown a photo of himself with Carol in the 1980s, he wound up confusing her with his second wife, Marla Maples. At first, he claimed not to know the woman, but then said, it's Marla. When Carol's lawyer asked, are you saying that Marla Maples in this photo? He replied, that's Marla. Yeah, that's my wife. His lawyer had to tell him, that's Carol. Interesting. So he can't tell a woman who's not his type apart from one of his wives when she's not my type is basically his entire defense. The deposition also revealed some unsurprisingly disgusting comments from Trump who had real if I did it energy simultaneously arguing that the rape didn't happen while making this false claim about a Carol interview. Quote, she actually indicated that she loved it. OK, she loved it until commercial break. In fact, I think she said it was sexy, didn't she? She said it was very sexy to be raped. Didn't she say that? Actually, she said that she'd shied away from calling her alleged encounter with Trump a rape because the word has so many sexual connotations and is a fantasy for some weirdos. Trump was also asked if he'd ever kissed a woman without her consent. And he replied, I can't think of any complaints. The case is expected to go to trial in April. We'll see how that works out. And that is tonight's readout. you can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.